three, Donnie. Third episode in the history of our Nesson After Hours podcast presented by People's United Bank coming your way. We are inside your ears right now. You are listening to the voice of Emerson Lazia. This is Celie Godwin's voice. Hello. Yes, Hello. that is it. So <laughs> angelic. We'll have you here for the next however long. We don't really know. Podcasts are not exactly timed out. But we do have Fred Nutter, our producer on hand, to tell us when to move on to the next topic when we start talking about one topic way too much. Celie Godwin, what topics do we have on yeah. tap today? We got a lot. Uh, kudos to Fred, man, because we go on some tangents, and he has to, you know, kind of crack the whip and keep us in line. Yeah, I love Fred. He's really, he's really muscular, too. He's a former uh, collegiate wide receiver at UConn, by the way. Hey, hey, He's hey. my friend. I knew him first. <laughs> all right, all right. So the rundown. Uh, last night, 2020 NFL schedule released. You know, maybe we'll talk some predictions. Okay. Um, and what games stand out to us because it's sure. the schedule getting released. Not many changes, you know, compared to previous years, even with the state of the world right now. So we'll talk mm -hmm. about that. Korean baseball is underway, and I am here for the bat flips, crazy mascots, and yes, for the action on the field as well if I can stay up that late. Then we'll look ahead into episode seven and eight of The Last Dance. We got to talk with The Last Dance director, Jason Hare, earlier this week. Wonderful conversation with him. And then we'll finish off with our quarantine thoughts because oh. things are getting weird with my dreams, Emerson. Yeah, yeah. I have, um, Very I have, weird. I've been kind of given a sneak preview before we started recording this podcast, and I'm looking forward to diving deeper into what the hell is going on in your head right now. A lot, apparently. <laughs> um, so NFL schedules released. Uh, e, do you get excited about the schedule release, even though we already know who they're going to be playing? Do yeah. Do you care about this? I say to myself every year, I'm like, how am I getting amped up this? Am I really going to sit around and watch a three-hour schedule release show on like ESPN or the NFL Network? And then next thing you know, I'm two hours into it. And like the schedule I already knew for hours. Uh, yeah. So because it, it's interesting how the structure is going to be made. A couple takeaways for me. You got some early season games at Kansas City and Seattle, which could be huge. It could be totally different if crowds aren't allowed in there because those are the two loudest stadiums in the NFL couple other takeaways you're gonna have Lamar Jackson Deshaun Watson Kyler Murray all in a row that'll be a challenge um an early bye week early bye week uh week, week six. six I think it is so Correct. that'll kind of allow Bill Belichick to just sit back because this is like a new look Patriots team whether you want to admit it or not so he's going to be able to sit back and kind of reevaluate that and then Jimmy G Jimmy G coming here week seven that has you know that's a candidate in my eyes for for game of the year it's it's unfortunate Tom Brady's no longer here because that would have been the best yes but we work with what we got. Yes. What about you? Uh, anything, anything stand out to you? Uh, I, I agree with a lot of those that you pointed out. Obviously, seeing Jimmy G back in Foxborough will be huge, like kind of playing the, you know, this could have been the guy, but you let this guy go. Uh, the one that got away, I guess is how you could put it. Uh, the West mm -hmm. Coast trips, because there are a lot of them. Um, and it'll be interesting, the Bills and the Jets down the stretch, mainly because even how they were last season, kind of fighting for the AFC East at that point, you know, that could probably happen again going down the stretch or at least a wild card spot. So it'll be interesting to see where the Pats are by that point. But um, yeah, hosting the Broncos, I'm going against the grain here with everyone else. Uh, Broncos loaded up okay. in the draft when it came to offensive weapons for Drew Locke. Yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah, they clearly committed to him. Yes, oh my gosh, LA was like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and just say I've got another quarterback of the future on my hand. So, yes, we're going to build around this guy, and the draft was, was clear. 
They that gave is. him so many great weapons. So, I mean, that game will be interesting, um, even though it's going to be played here in New England. But mm-hmm. uh, Doug Kide, our Patriots insider, he says that he thinks that the Pats will get a win there. I don't think they will. So I'm going against the grain there. Might bite me in the ass. We'll see. But uh, okay. the Patriots, they have the hardest schedule based on their opponent's records. Uh, first time entering a season in the Belichick era with the hardest schedule, playing everyone from the AFC West and NFC West. Yeah. I know. And I think that kind of gets a little too blown out of proportion mm-hmm. because it's, it's as simple as, all right, you, took, you take like one good team off of there off the schedule and put like a mediocre or like a team had a bad record last year, throw like the Jaguars on there or something. And then your overall like win percentage of your opponents just drops and brings you to the middle of the pack when you just change like one team. So I think when it comes to a tough schedule like this, a good team like the Patriots, I mean, well coached. We obviously know that with Bill Belichick at the helm for two decades now. I, I think a good team is built more for a strong schedule. I don't think it makes that much of a difference when it comes to a team like the Patriots, strength schedule, but maybe a mediocre schedule for a team um, that is not as talented as the Patriots actually could make a difference, if that makes any sense. No, what I just that said. makes total sense. I get okay. that. I, I think that there's uh, too much emphasis put on it, on the strength of schedule, but um, I, for the harder schedules for a team like Bill Belichick that he runs, I think they embrace this. Mm-hmm. I think they like this challenge, especially with – all the off-season changes that we saw, this is just another kind of thing that they got to prove to everybody. Yeah, so, yeah. And, and, like and, that. and uh, you know, a week one matchup against Brian Flores and the Miami Dolphins, that should not be overlooked either. Especially Jared Sin was going to be thrown to the wolves right away because uh, we all know that the Miami Dolphins, for whatever reason, has had the Patriots number recently and all of the off-season additions that uh, used to be uh, members of the Patriots. <laughs> it's like there's so many of them now that have gone down to join their former defensive coordinator, Brian yeah. Flores in Miami. And the way last year ended, with Miami beating the Patriots in week 17, which co- cost the uh, Patriots a bye in the first round of the playoffs. Um, the just Titans look- and, the, and the Dolphins are both like Patriots 2.0 because mm-hmm. they're just working Yeah, and that used to be the Texans too. They used to call yes. the Texans like the Patriots of the South because it was like so many former like Patriots and you have um, um, a brain fart here on the, on the head coach there. O'Brien? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bill O'Brien, former, uh, you know, former offensive coordinator here in, uh, in New England. But a couple other things that just stuck out to me, just one more thing really, yep. is the fact, obviously, Tom Brady, Tom Brady and Tampa Bay, they have five primetime games. Oh, my gosh. The also, mo- the Patriots yeah. do. The Patriots have five primetime games, which kind of shocked me um, with the schedule makers because you knew Tom Brady wasn't here anymore. Didn't surprise me to see five for Tampa Bay. Also, it's you'll be able to keep an eye, Patriots fans, you'll be able to keep an eye on Tom Brady a lot easier than you think because – Let's see, the two teams only play in the same time just twice this season, week 15 and 17. So, Patriots fans, plenty of opportunities to watch Brady and to watch Gronk go to work now in Florida. One more thing that I want to talk about. I was surprised with how normal the schedule looked, given the state of the world right now. I, I kind of talked about that earlier when we were teasing the show. Roger Goodell did send out a memo saying that things could change, so take that as you will. Four preseason games. I'm I'm never a huge fan of the preseason. I don't think many people oh God. are. Players, but, players aren't either. But here's the thing: with not having you know a normal off season right now, the guys that are trying to make the 53 man roster, they need that four game preseason mm-hmm. more so now than ever. And that so was the biggest story with yeah. And then the reports are they'll they'll drop and they'll go to uh, when they go to 17 2021 17 regular season games and it'll drop like a preseason game. That was a big story because those were some of the best stories 
uh, come from the NFL or these under, undrafted free agents who come yes. in and you have a month to prove yourself. Yeah, now you've got to do it even sooner. You've got to work your ass off even harder when you drop that week, when you lose that week. And like Matt Chano would be a guy who would be, you know, someone who's great to talk to about this. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, see, we'll see what happens. But I, I am, uh, shockingly, I was, I was way too juiced up for the schedule release yesterday. Uh, so no international games, Pro Bowl still pretty much up in the air. Yeah, uh, yeah. And another thing with the schedule real quick, Sealy, sorry to cut you off, is like I, I, I for sure was expecting them more to, and I know they like the conference games, the in-division games coming out of, the, out of the gate. I thought just to be cautious for this year, maybe some out-of-conference, out-of-division games up front would have been nice in case you have to shorten the season, whatever, just to play it safe. You know what I mean? Yeah. That way it, I was expecting more of these schedules to be back heavy because of the threat of the coronavirus and they, I and they, mean, and they weren't necessarily out of the way earlier. What? And if you get them out of the way earlier, and then that gives you room to it, push them back if you have to. Yeah. I, I was thinking more of just, just starting to chop games. Like, you know what I mean? So if you wanted to do the out of conference stuff in the beginning, all right, chop that week off, chop that week off, chop, chop that week chop. off and, and have your, have your conference and, and division games start like, I don't know, week eight or nine or something just to play it safe. Yeah. But yeah, they'll yeah. drop, they'll drop the pro bowl. Uh, they've, they've already said that'll likely be a change that they, that they'll have to make it for whatever reason. They got to move the schedule around. And uh, yeah, I think the latest they can start is like October. Yep. Yep. Uh, playoffs begin early January, expanded mm -hmm. to 14 teams as part of the new CBA that they reached in March, Super Bowl, February 7th, down in Tampa Bay. Yeah. And they uh, said, uh, that, and they said moving that, I guess won't be a problem, but no, they, easier, they easier said than done, easier said than done. We shall see. So many things up in the air right now. Uh, live, live sports right now. Live baseball injected into my veins. Mm. KBO, Korean <laughs> baseball. Let's go. Before like last week, I'd be like, what the hell is KBO? Like, what are you talking about? Is this, <laughs> is this some like, like new leg of like a wrestling, like uh, a branch of the WWE or something? I have no idea what the hell KBO is. But now I, I know. I know about it because I've had a couple of friends go over and play and they enjoyed their time over there and, and they just love the culture and the mm -hmm. fan base is so incredible there. I mean, it's kind of like going to a soccer game where fans are chanting all the time and yeah. all the different dances and songs that you hear. You see that and hear that at a KBO game. So and, it's, it's, and it seems like players do, uh, you know – they do plenty on the field to, to give the fans something to cheer for, whether it's like a decent play or not. You, like you were telling me the other day, like you were doing some research, and these guys do backflips for like a ground out or something. Like they know it's just, gonna, you know, it's going to be just your typical regular old ground out, and they're flipping the bat up to Mars, and the fans just eat it up. And I'm all about it too. Bring it over here. Bring yeah. it over here. Come on, I man. I know. I mean, it, the cultures are so different, and also like they don't take offense to it that pitchers here in MLB would if you do a bat flip like it's disrespecting the game you know no, all the old timers fans. they're not over there no yeah. they're all they're no, all no, over no. here my research from all the bat flips came from a fantastic article from ESPN's Mina Kimes she went over there and got to the bottom of where the bat flip was invented like who invented it what player did it and it was this legendary player from early on in the KBO's history um, who brought it in and I mean he he's still around she caught up with him I can't remember his name right now but um, he just kind of did it and he loved the fans response to it and it's just a release point but yeah if they ground out or pop out 
they still do it. Yeah. And then, you know, when they get thrown out at one, yeah. they jog back, like, you know, they're not embarrassed. They're not ashamed. And I mean, and the younger generations, the youth leagues over in South Korea are doing it too. Cause they idolize these guys that, yeah. that they watch. So it's, yeah. it's cool. And I, our producer, Fred, makes a good point. Bat flips are like spiking the ball after a touchdown. I can tell you what, if, if like Gronk played baseball, I don't care what the play resulted in, an out, a run, just getting on base. That guy is throwing his bat over the green monster. <laughs> For sure, like 100%. Like every single time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, give you that to lose, me. That's what I love. So many I'm, all, I'm, all about, like, I'm all about showmanship. <laughs> I'm all about showmanship. Just go ahead and do it. Go I mean, ahead. we need a little piss off, right piss now. off like the old timers, piss off the pitchers, like whatever, just do it. And I don't I care mean, what kind of play. The, the sport needs here. a little more sexiness to it. The game, even here, I think, is starting to change. I, I, I mean, mm-hmm. the old school traditional values of it. If they want to keep the younger generation watching the sport, they've got to kind of change their stances a little bit. They got to relax a little bit, have some fun with it, like. Baseball doesn't have to be so up, buttoned up and tight. I mean, you can have fun and win ball games. Mm-hmm. So that's that's yep. that. Um, I don't know. Do you think that this KBO is catching on? I know it's harder for people on the East Coast to watch it because it's so late at night. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. And, like, we talked to Steve Lyons about it uh, this week. Um, we talked to Eck about it over the, the past week on Nesson After Hours, uh, presented by People's United Bank. And – I don't know. The guys were like, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. It's like, you know, live sports. It's, it's baseball, but it's kind of just a 10 team league over there. The time that it airs over here, 1 AM, I haven't seen a single play. I'll get up at like 7:38, and I'll still see people who stayed up all night watching it. So there are some people out there who are thirsty. There are thirsty baseball fans for sure. But right now I'm just, I go to bed relatively early. I'm not going to stay up and watch it. It is nice to have live sports back. I think it should give us a little bit of hope, but at the same time, you don't really know what to expect over here, over here with the pandemic. And even Eck has been like, you know, pump the brakes a little bit on the excitement and the possibility of baseball coming back, which is hard to hear, but we all just don't know. I think if one thing it's, if it's not giving you hope, it's at least showing you what baseball looks like without fans. Yeah. Good point. So, I mean, cause obviously the testing that they've been able to do over there, how small their population is. It's, it was way better controlled over there than it is here. So if it doesn't give you hope, at least it shows you that baseball can be done without fans. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, let's move on to the last dance. The let's go. one thing that is constantly giving us something to look forward to every single Sunday when basically it feels like everyone in the world is sitting down with each other to watch TV watch Michael Jordan and the Bulls for two hours Uh, episodes seven and eight coming up. But earlier this week, we got to interview the last dance director, Jason Hare, Newton native, absolutely awesome interview we did with him. Such a cool guy. Uh, What did you enjoy from the conversation that we had with him? Uh, I I enjoyed a couple different things. Uh, I know he was telling us about some of the stories. Shockingly, he couldn't fit all the Michael Jordan stories into a 10 part docuseries. Like there were still some he had to cut out. Uh, also, uh, interesting when you asked him, is it even done yet? And he's like, no, episode 10 is not even done right now. So, uh, time's ticking here, man. <laughs> You've got about a week and a half to finish it up. Uh, yeah. So I enjoyed him telling us a little bit about, I think it was like his high school days, some of the stuff he couldn't get in, like when he actually wasn't being highly recruited and, uh, there were a couple coaches who knew about him, kind of wanted to like hide him away. So other coaches around the country couldn't, uh, didn't discover this, this talent, this generational talent. And then also, 
uh, the story of we asked him, which Red Sox player would you like to uh, tell a documentary about? And it was Oil Can uh, from back in, back in the 80s, uh, former Red Sox player. So, uh, and he's got a very interesting background. I'm not going to yes. dive too deep into it. I would highly recommend Googling it. Uh, but the man lived a wild-ass lifestyle off the field. And I don't even know if the Red Sox would enjoy us doing a documentary about him. No, probably not. <laughs> uh, the, the guy liked to, to have his fun and play baseball, and he was able to kind of do both for <laughs> Yeah, man, part. I have no idea how, but yeah, that, that would be interesting. But what about you? What was your favorite part of that? Because there was so much to take away. And let me just add real quick. The most crazy thing about this is my mom, who hates sports, doesn't care about sports, is so into this docu-series. She calls me every Monday to talk about it. Called me yesterday to talk about it. She's like, can I see your interviews that you guys did with the director? So I sent them to her. But yeah, lots of good stuff. What about you? Yeah, I, I, I think to kind of go off of what you said about your mom, my mom is watching it too. Um, and Everyone is. It's, it's just because of the state of the world right now, I think there's a lot more focus put on it than maybe if everything was normal that there yeah. wouldn't be this much but it's all the drama it's more than just sports it's not even yes. highlights and sports and stuff it's all yes. the things that happen behind the scenes yes and obviously we know what happens we just don't know the behind the scenes mm -hmm. stuff that happened but um and it's good to see that but from from the interview we did with jason um how, he said he got eight hours i think with with jordan mm -hmm. and we all know how competitive michael jordan is and how he liked to gamble and he liked to do fun bets on just anything and everything just because he was that competitive. And he was talking about how one time he got into a little bit of a competition, a little bit of a bet with Michael Jordan. They were on their way to this event at a hotel. Oh, this is um, so damn good. I think it was for like Jordan brand shoes. It was yeah, yeah they, were, yeah, they were going to like a tournament, I think it was. Something like that, yes. yeah. And, and they were trying to he, he basically said i bet we'll send, see 10 pairs of jordans <laughs> and I, I, my first thought when jason told me that I was like do not take that bet do not take that bet i yet. wouldn't take a damn bet against him ever no <laughs> i'm just like and, what are you up to michael and on the drive there they saw like maybe four and he's like okay i'm in the clear and then when he finally gets to the hotel it's like thousands and thousands of, of jordan shoes everywhere and he just like looks at him and you know smiles yeah. And he's like, you know what? I learned my lesson. You don't take a bet against Michael Jordan because he's not doing it unless he knows he's going to win. Yeah, like Michael knew before the bet that he was going to win. He knew it was like a Jordan brand convention or tournament, whatever the heck was going on. And so he was like, I'm just going to, I'm going to go ahead and just crush this director right now. Bring yeah, him back down uh, to earth. He, could, he, he thinks he gets eight hours of Michael hard. Jordan. I'll show him. Um, okay, so... In episodes five and six, we're starting to get into the crux of the of the story here with him retiring for the first time and all the pressure of the of the media and everything else going on. Um, you know, a lot of things happened in 1993 for him personally and professionally. Um, and in the conversation with Jason, we talked to him about some of the most memorable interviews besides Jordan, and he brought up you know Larry Bird, who was you know one of his childhood idols you know, magic because of his big personality. But uh, those were guys I could have guessed. But the first person he brought up was a bit surprising. Uh, Steve Kerr, getting to know him a little bit. And then we went to interview his mom at his childhood home. Um, 
And of all the homes we interviewed anybody at, she has the most idyllic home. It's, it's, it's literally on a cliff overlooking the Pacific Ocean and Pacific Palisades in, in Los Angeles. And it's, there's, there's you know, childhood artwork from Steve hanging up on the walls. And just the story of their family I found so captivating. So we can expect to see a lot on Steve Kerr coming up here. That infamous fight with Steve Kerr at practice. Um, Kerr joined the Bulls in 93. Obviously, Michael went and played baseball, came back, and it was in training camp ahead of the 1995-96 season. Jordan is, you know, trying to push his teammates like he normally does, and Kerr decided to give it back. Um, and that's where that fight happens, and Kerr ends up with a black eye that apparently he doesn't remember uh -huh. getting. Yeah, it was uh, – I read a little more about it. By the way, I can't wait to see, like, the house – uh, because you just heard Jason like describe this house that his like mom was in or whatever with all, all of like Steve's stuff, but also like the beautiful views that I guess it has. Uh, but yeah, so I guess it was Phil Jackson in this practice, but Steve Kerr, like on Michael Jordan, he was playing tough defense. Uh, Jackson kept calling all these ticky tack fouls on uh, Jordan. So Jordan's already getting heated. You know what a competitor he is. And then I guess he takes like an elbow to the chest and uh, you know, one that was not intentional. And so Jordan gets ticked off and just socks him in the face. And Steve, Steve Kerr from, you know, he's on the record talking about how actually he feels like that helped their relationship. Like he proved to Jordan how tough he was. And after that, Jordan could trust him in like clutch time, pressure filled, pressure packed situations. And, and that was it. There are a couple other players who actually said they have been punched by Michael Jordan uh, as well. So Kerr, Kerr is not the only one. And I, I, can ex I can assume that he's not the only one. <laughs> yeah. And Kerr, Kerr was like, you know, listen, it, it was just kind of basketball at the time. And it, and it kind of goes to show how different basketball was then compared to now. Back then, like practices were, were just as intense, maybe even more intense than games. And today, the idea is more of, okay, uh, it's, it's rest and recover. Because yeah, you, want, you, you want to protect now. these huge investments now and want to make sure they have as much longevity in their career and be as successful as possible. But yes, back then, especially with a guy like Jordan, who was going to get pissed off at his teammates if they weren't playing up to his level or close to it. That's why a lot of people looked at him like he was just an ass, like he was a terrible teammate when really he just wanted to bring everyone up to his level. The old school way of motivating players and teammates, I think, is dying out. Times have changed quite a bit when it comes to how leaders lead. I can't imagine Tom Brady getting in a fist fight. No, no, absolutely not. Unless like, I don't know, someone in the lunchroom puts like sliced up strawberries in his oatmeal or something like that. And he's like, you know, I don't eat strawberries. They bring anywho, vanilla ice cream instead of guacamole oh, flavored ice cream or whatever. Don't do like, that to me right now. It's, it's lunchtime when we're recording this and I'm hungry and we do have a pint of ice cream <laughs> in the freezer. But yeah, there's no way. There's no way I, I could see that. And even, even competitors, and we've talked about this on this podcast before, everyone's like more buddy-buddy. You don't have like as much tension anymore. There's not as many heated rivalries. You don't see fists yeah. being thrown like left and right like you did. But yeah, it's, it's totally different. I mean, Michael Jordan is just different. He's on a tier alone uh, above everybody else i think when it comes to his competitive competitiveness but also how he showed it how he expressed it is different like tom I brady see, expresses it in a different way we see tom brady right getting heated yeah. exchanges with julian edelman um you know his offensive coordinator josh mcdaniels and stuff like that afterwards they squash it but yeah michael just chose to use his fist from time to time 
I think there's definitely some players out there who carry that kind of similar attitude and approach mm-hmm. to their teammates, but they don't have the track record, the success level of Michael Jordan. So I don't yeah. think that it sells as well. I don't think it works as well with their teams unless they can back it up. Yeah, yeah, for or sure. could back it up. Yeah, if, the, if he was yelling at me or like Tom was yelling at me, I'm like, okay, I, like if I'm a teammate, I'm going to say, oh, yeah, this, this guy knows what he's talking about. He's not some like schmuck who's been in the playoffs just once has, you know, like a terrible yes. uh, career Which record Which is why or I think it's harder for some of these other guys who try to act like that to get away with it because they, they don't have the championships and the titles to say, you know, this is why I can do this. And, and yeah. Also, um, if I'm, also, if I'm Steve Kerr, I'm like, oh, my God, sweet. I was just punched in the face by Michael Jordan. I'll be able to tell people this story for the rest of my life. And he is. And he, and he is. is. He is to this day. And they were good friends too. Like they ended up being a-okay. That was yep. that moment that he challenged him. I think he got the respect back from Jordan because yeah. he stepped up to him. And so, he didn't have to worry about Jordan uh, punching him in the face like the following season because Jordan wasn't even there, right? After 96? No, 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 no. I was, uh, when, did, when did the punch happen? 95, 90, 96. 95, okay, yeah, never mind. It was the season before that. The season before that then, because Jordan yeah. wasn't there. Jordan took his talents to the diamond. Yes. Took, like, what? Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah, that was a, a wild year uh, for sure. Um, when it, when it comes to him everybody. playing minor league ball down yeah. in Birmingham. So we talked in length about how Jordan was on the court, and, and we saw how Phil Jackson coached him and how, how, that was, how he was able to do that, and mm. he did that very, very well. For how he was to coach on the field, though, Terry Francona, he knows about that very well. He was managing him with the Birmingham Barons. He was talking to ESPN's Buster Olney about managing Michael Jordan in the minor leagues. I learned so much. I mean, he, I always tell people, if I learned as much from, or if he learned as much from me as I learned from him, that he was in a good spot because he, I mean, competitive, intelligent, team, he, he had it all. He, and the biggest thing was his respect for baseball. That's what hit me the most, and that's it, why it made it work so well. And then I go back, and I look at some more quotes from, like, Michael Jordan during that experiment, I guess, if you want to call it. I mean, Jordan was, was up front from the beginning. He was like, listen, I'm not afraid to fail. I'm not afraid to fail. Uh, some, you know, something you would hear a competitor say at his level he was in a weird place at that time he was in a dark place in his life because his father was murdered like uh, you know a few months before that and it was it was always a dream of his father to see michael play baseball so i think there was part of him that felt when his dad passed away and jordan's dad who always wanted to play baseball he had last played baseball as a high school senior in 1981 it'd been a minute it, it had it had been a minute but also more people counted him out and didn't think he could do it than anyone who thought he could. And that just probably gave him more fuel. Yeah, it did. And then there was the article that um, there was the article sports illustrated did. Yeah. I think he was on the cover of sports illustrated and they said something like, you know, forget it, Michael, or something like that. And he hasn't talked to sports illustrated since then, basically saying, just you know, quit quit the crap, Michael. It pissed him off. But I mean, if you look at a stat line from that 1994 season that he played, in Birmingham, which that team ended up winning uh, the, the league title, the Southern League title. Um, he was, you know, 202, three homers, 51 runs, batted in, mm-hmm. 30 stolen bases. 
but he was struck out 114 times and had 11 errors. So, I mean, he struggled and it was his first season back, but I mean, he's a pro athlete and he's Michael Jordan. So yeah. for that being his first year back playing baseball, is that really that terrible? I mean, obviously that's not going to, you know, get you to the majors, but no, was, no, but doing it. and that team did win the Southern league title that year. Yeah. There were just a lot of people thought this guy thinks he can just come in and, and become this like major league baseball player without I mean, there's a, there's a reason there, there are a lot of these guys spend years in the minors. It's, it's training. Yeah. It's, I don't know, like the hand eye coordination. It, there's so much that goes into becoming a, a damn good baseball player or even just an average baseball player. And he was below average, yeah. but it was, it was Baggett Michael Baggett Michael, which is what, what was on the cover of sports illustrated that pissed him off so much. Again, he hasn't talked sports illustrated since then, you know, after the season, they sent him to the Arizona Fall League. He played there. And then it was like four months later, he went back to Sox camp in Sarasota. Uh, major leaguers were like still locked out after the strike ended, uh, you know, the 94 season. So like Jordan was the, was the focal point in the clubhouse that was filled with like replacement players and minor leaguers. He didn't really want to be that like center of attention, but that's what happens in, in that weird time for, for baseball. Um, but there was... Let's see. He played in a bunch of exhibition games, and then Jordan left the practice field uh, in a huff, and soon bolted to training camp in his SUV. Uh, after like they were making Jordan and the replacement players move to a smaller clubhouse, and Jordan's like, "This is just crap right now," you know, because they were be, they were they weren't being treated like they were like real baseball players. I mean, and then that's, that's when my, he, that's the minor league system. I hate to say, like for some yeah, of these yeah, players that aren't making very much, and you know, are staying in hotels with a couple of guys in the same room and. You know, they're getting handed money for their meals. I mean, it's just a different world in, in the minor league system. It is tough. Yeah, so he got, he got pissed off. He left. And in the story I'm reading here on the Chicago Tribune, Jordan's private jet dipped over Sox camp the next morning in a salute to his teammates who waved at the sky from the field. The grand baseball experiment was over, and Chicagoans held their breath anxiously awaiting his next move. A couple weeks later, March 18th, Jordan sending a fax with the two most beautiful words in Bulls history, I'm back. Yeah. Then you go on to a three-peat again. Again, again. I mean, he, I, I think he needed a break. That 93 year was so tough on him, losing his father the way he did, um, you know, being not burnt out. He, apparently he doesn't like that, that phrase, burnt out, but he was exhausted from the media and playing so much basketball because he was playing a ton of basketball. You know, he's playing with, the dream team and then goes win his third title so I mean he was just exhausted and I yeah. get it and all the gambling things coming to light and the media getting on him for that because the local media was was going in on him on that um I, I'm curious as to how someone like Michael Jordan would handle playing in this day and age because of social media yeah he, he would he would have been blown up I, I think a lot I think a lot of his I think a lot of the gambling would have obviously not sat well with, with many people at that time if, like, Twitter was around. I obviously, think, with it becoming legal in some states, I think it's getting better. But, yeah. Well, I yeah, now, now and today, yeah. But I'm just talking, like, more, more back then. It, it had this just, um, I don't know, negative, like, reputation. Like, people just looked at it as, like, you were in, like, a, you were a greasy dude in, like, a back alley throwing dice against the wall. Yeah. Also, you don't want to have that – question of are you betting are you throwing games are yeah you yeah and how tough he was and how tough he was with his teammates too I mean those reports would leak out and, and yeah he would have yeah. been known he would I, I think like 
because what he was at practice and behind closed doors was totally different than how the public perceived him. And that definitely. would have definitely changed his image even more. But he even mentioned it in that one documentary, in that one episode, was that his image did take a hit. His image took a small hit with the whole, like, gambling thing. Because, you know, he ignored the media for so long and then did the interview with the sunglasses on. It was kind of like half-ass and whatever. <laughs> but, again, you go back to winning, and that's fine. And that's fine. Winning kind of cures things, right? It does. It cures everything. It cures anything and everything. You think people would have given a crap here in Boston about Kyrie being a terrible teammate had they actually won, like, a, a title and had he actually been healthy and productive in the playoffs? No, people here would have forgiven. They would have totally I, forgiven yeah. him for that. That's an interesting hypothetical right there. If they would have won, it, how it, would it Kyrie Irving's kind of – Yeah, it was like David Price's um, uh, image here, Seals. Like, it, it wasn't great. Then he helped him win, like, a World Series. And then, you know, next thing you know, people were back on board the David Price train. Winning cures everything. That's, yep. that's something that I firmly believe in. Uh, so, Last Dance, Episode 7 and 8, airing Sunday, 9 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. Uh, if you don't like all the cursing, you can go to ESPN, too. But if you want the real deal. No, get the real thing. Get the real feels, man. Real feels. Plus, yeah, plus apparently there's big. a lot of epic stuff said in this next couple of Love episodes it. that even Love Jason it. Hare was surprised that Jordan was okay letting go. Like, because yeah. he was able to look over this and, you know, give some of his thoughts. But he said, you can do whatever. Um, you can ask whatever. You can air whatever. You know, just you, you have control. Complete creative it's true, control. yeah. It was like um, you know, right. nothing, like nothing was off topic. Like he would, he would touch on everything. And that's yeah, the other I, thing that I love that he told us about. I need to, I need to hear, before we, we skedaddle here, before we get out of here, I need to hear about this dream, like some quarantine thoughts. You, you oh, teased this dream at, at the thoughts. top of this podcast, and I need to know now what this dream is. People are talking about it. People are emailing. People are sending their carrier pigeons to the Nesson Studios. <laughs> Everyone wants to know what went through your head last night in this dream. Do tell, because we love weird dreams. Okay, so um, I, just watching NFL Network and, and watching ESPN and all the uh, schedules being released, and Diana Rossini, an ESPN sideline reporter, she's very hilarious, Jersey girl. Um, so she, she's, she popped up in my dream. And, you oh, know, yeah. she's yeah. in the live shot, and uh -huh. she's showing off awards she's won. Oh, oh. And this is a that's very it. vivid dream. I can remember this perfectly. And Ooh. she, I guess, got a little fancy, was feeling herself, and she started talking in a British English accent. And she's from Jersey. So you could even see her like kind of shake her head. She's like, this is not working for me. This accent is not <laughs> working for me. Um, but yeah, I just remember I was like, why is Diana Rossini talking in an English accent? Hello, governor. More rules, sir. Very weird. It was very, very weird. Dude, and scrumpets getting, are getting weirder by the minute here in, in quarantine, and, and I know a lot of other people are, are experiencing weird dreams. Are, are you? No, my. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm permanently weird. The dreams I have are, are permanently weird, and a lot of the times when I wake up after a weird dream, I think about it, and then I can never remember it again. That I don't really know. Happens. It's just it's just what happens in my head. My wife's been having weird dreams. She's okay. been having a lot of weird dreams. She's off, you know, she's uh, sitting next to me as I'm recording this podcast right now, and she's nodding her head yes. So what I'm saying is a fact, if she agrees with me. But yeah, my dreams are, uh, my, dream, my dreams are, are sweet, man. You know, lots, lots of like animals and, and dinosaurs and, and me doing things that I can never do in real life, which is great, which is why so many times when I wake up, I just want to go back to bed because I want to feel, I want to feel real again. I want to, I want to be a superhero again, man. <laughs> dinosaurs? Oh, man. 
Yeah, dinosaurs. I, that pops up in my head every once in a while. I am uh, 35. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just a big old 35-year-old five-year-old. Are you watching a lot of Jurassic Park? Because they've been rerunning a ton of those movies too, that entire series. You know, you know, why, uh, you know why I did think I had a dream about like the dinosaurs? It did have something to do with Jurassic Park. It goes, back go. to the, it goes back to the Steve Kerr story when I was researching it earlier this week. He said like when he was punched in the face by Jordan, not to take us all the way back here. He said it was, with, I think with like the blood and everything, it was like a scene out of Jurassic Park is the way he yes, described it. Yes, you're right. So that that's what I'm a, saying. So it's like stuff on the back burner. Like you could have said something to me like last week and it's just sticking back there. And one night I just like pass out and then who knows, maybe tomorrow night I'm thinking of Diana Rossini and she's at Gillette Stadium, like doing a report on Tom Brady coming back to the Patriots. Like, ha ha, JK. Wow. That would be a wild dream yeah. for sure. Um, I know. And then I have a lot of, a lot of them that just aren't safe for work or even a podcast. Not but I'll text, safe but I'll text you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, keep those to yourself, sir. Um, okay. You got it. But yeah, I know weird dreams, uh, you know, it's just a wild time in quarantine and, you know, the dreams are getting wilder and wilder. It's, by a, real, the it's a real thing. Like there are, there are actual articles on the internet. Everything on the internet is true, obviously, that people <laughs> are having like super weird dreams. I don't know what it is. I don't know what's causing it because I just look at headlines and then I just base my opinions off of headlines. I never actually read articles. So <laughs> that would require your attention. No, I just I just trust the headline. <laughs> I just I scroll through like the Google news search and I'm like, okay, cool, that's good. I'll go off of that and I can talk for 30 minutes just on that like seven word headline. That's good. Your poor little attention span is <laughs> hey, listen, if anyone knows it more than my wife, it is you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Good lord. It's like hurting cats. <laughs> <laughs> sure. It's like, oh my god, dude, look, there's a butterfly. <laughs> Alrighty, that's going to do it for us here on After Hours, the podcast presented by People's United Bank, episode three and the books. Join us next week, episode four. Lots more to talk about, more The Last Dance, more interviews, hopefully more live sports to talk about with all of you lovely, lovely people. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week.